Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. And on today's show, we're going to be looking back at Friday night's one-all draw at Pride Park against Derby County as we now fall five points behind the top two and maybe the title race is over before it really began. And here to discuss everything that happened on Friday is Don Betts. Hello, hello. Joe Sansom. Hello. And Farrell Monk. Hello, friends. How are we all doing? Good. Good. Do you know what it feels a little bit weird is we obviously wait until Monday evening to do podcasts and that tends to work if it's a Saturday game and especially a Sunday game. When you're discussing a Friday night game on Monday evening and most people don't listen to this until Tuesday morning, it feels like an extortionate amount of time between it happening. We need to up our games then. Let's, uh, we should do Saturday morning then, shall we? What, Saturday morning, 9am? My availability might uh, struggle yeah. <laughs> if we move it to uh, Saturday, 9am. I think we'd never see Don Betts again if we move. <laughs> no, if you, if you did 9am, I'd just, just be getting in. So it's yeah. probably a good time. Oh, okay, fair enough. Right. Um, before we touch on what happened in the match, uh, Farrell, what are the three word views? Uh, yeah, so we've got quite a range, actually. So uh, start off with Sophie Johnson's Marek is Magic. Uh, then we have Max Bryson's Red Rodak Redemption. Nice. Uh, Will Brooks's, which probably works better in tweet form. Uh, not one hashtag defull because the derful, so not one defull. Brilliant. It's still uh, not as good as arseful. Arseful, the best, absolutely. The best Fulham hashtag that's ever happened. And then finally, Mike Bruce's decent subs, actually, just to end on a little bit of a positive oh, note. Well, that is very nice. Um, Joe, I'm going to bring it back down to the negative. We might be third in the league, but is this one of the most boring Fulham sides to ever grace the pitch? I'd say the Craven Cottage pitch, but it was actually in Pride Park. But still, the point remains, it was it was the most turgid first half of football from both sides as well. It's not just Fulham. Yeah, 100%. One of the most boring sides I've seen for Fulham. Just so tedious on the ball. It never really seems like we're going anywhere with the ball. It doesn't seem like there's enough... Well, there's no speed, really. And um, even when the goal actually happened with a great finish by Mitrovic, I I wasn't expecting us to equalise, actually. I just thought when Derby took the lead, I was thinking, I haven't seen anything in this match to convince me that we're going to even create anything worthy of scoring a goal. It just seems like we're always going to score out of a, out of a half chance. Um, Farrell, Sky put this statistic that everyone's been sharing widely over social media before the match and it was all about fast breaks and fast attacks and I can't remember who was top of the list, I want to say Brentford were up there, had done 50 fast breaks this season, at the bottom of the pile was Fulham on six and no goals scored from those fast breaks and it just really sums up the way that we're playing at the moment. And whilst keeping the ball is great and I don't want to become a side that hits it long. It's just, it's really grating on a large majority of the fan base watching Fulham right now because this style, so-called star that Scott Parker has adopted, is just really, really hard to watch. Well, yeah, and I, I, I would argue and say that it has been like that for a number of years. I, I, I would, I wasn't really surprised to see that statistic at all, and it was actually Hull at the top of the list, uh, which okay. was quite surprising to start off with. But you know, they're quite defensive and they want to play a little bit more direct. But I'm not surprised that Fulham play like this. We played a little, lot like this in Slavia. It's just a bit more 
a bit more accented at the moment because we are already trying to fight for the top two spots and trying to consolidate our place in the playoffs. So anything but a win does kind of feel like we have dropped two points. We go into it as a fan base expecting three points uh, at the end of it. So if we're not playing positive football, then it does feel like, well, why aren't we? Because we have got such an attacking dearth of attacking talent up up top and we, we should feel like we should overwhelm teams quite a lot and that's just not the case at the moment. Scott Parker talked about afterwards how he's, you know, our our way of playing is con- to control the game and which we do for large parts of it, even against uh, Derby, who have the second best or even the best home record was in joint, the league. I think it was joint with Preston going into the game. Yeah, that's correct. And I think Parker got very, very bullish about how the, the way that we talk isn't, uh, the way that we uh, play isn't as positive we can we we should do because that's the way they sort of train week in week out and I don't think it's down to the way that Parker's probably training the team I think it's down to the confidence that that the players have out there and they're probably not actually taking on board the things that he's trying to instill in them I just feel like the amount of times this season where it's been you know you've, you've, we've gone into half time and we've, we've not said oh that's been bad it's been that was just really boring mm. and it is I think You've got to somewhat look at the the tactics when it comes to Parker because I th- I feel like, you know, if you have you said with all the attacking options we had, the likes of Caviero, you know, out you got Knockart, Bobby Reed, you know, you got the likes of Cabano to come off the bench, and yet there is no sort of, not directness, but it's just they sort of go through the motions involving getting the ball up to the final third. There's no sort of zip to it. It's just quite turgid and boring. And if you look at the goals we've scored, if you're, obviously you're looking at Mitch, what's he got now? 22, 23 goals mm, in the league. 22. And, yeah, 22. And, you, and even if you see his goal, obviously, against Derby, it's it's a half chance, as Joe, as Joe yeah. said, really. It's not incisive play, us cutting them to pieces. I think someone sent in a question last week about we've only scored, is it one or two one and ones this season? Or mm. we haven't scored a one and one in like two or three months. And that's because that's not the way we're playing. You know, you, I think you do have to sort of look at Scott Parker and, and he needs to adapt the way we're playing because you know we didn't claw ourselves back into the top two race Leeds and West Brom allowed us back in and you know within two games you know we, we could have you know if we beaten Mill we could have gone second and now we're five points adrift of second place Leeds United and I think that I'm not saying it's totally on Scott Parker because obviously you know when it comes to these sort of situations players do need to take some form of responsibility but I just don't understand what Scott Parker is telling them and I don't see him being and necessarily someone to let's say it's been a turgid boring first half to motivate them to you know change up the attack in the second half the only time I can really think of a game where we started from the off and really attacked a team was obviously the Huddersfield home game and that's where I thought we you know the Middlesbrough game as well we were quite good from the off but yeah you're right there hasn't been many times yeah I feel like it's just it is a lot down to the way we play and you know we've seen so many players or especially you know I think Marco did an article about Kearney about how his Parker ball as you might want to call it you know ruining him and I think maybe not to an extent of ruining him but I feel like it doesn't just suit the way we've got players to play I feel like that's what doesn't make sense is if we had players who would suit this style of football then I totally understand Mm -hmm. it but we don't we've got players to suit a very sort of zippy attacking style of football well yeah and I I I would probably agree with that as well especially since that you have a complete mix of those kind of players you've got Cavalero and and Knockart who are hell for leather direct kind of run at the fullback and thing and try and create an opportunity mixed in with Tom Kearney and Alexander Mitrovic who are very much so intricate um, kind of players obviously they're very different players but you know they like to play in and around the box and Mitrovic isn't going to get past the 
the final defender, even if he's probably got a 10 yard head start, the defenders are going to get get back uh, around him. Um, so maybe we're going back to those arguments that we had last season where the players that we brought in, there's no sort of like strategy or cohesion. They're not really thinking about, well, this is the tactics of Scott Parker and his coaching team and the transfer and the statistics department. They're not, you know, have that cohesive. Not for a second, I actually think they're not talking to each other and sort of thinking about what kind of players that they would like to bring in. But there's obviously some sort of slight issue there. Um, I do feel like, though, that the players aren't playing with the confidence that befit this style of play. But, Barnsley aside, since New Year's Day, really, can you be disappointed overall with any of the results? I think it comes, I think it gets to a point where it's what, are, Derby away 1-0, Millwall away 1-0 are not on their own in isolation if you discount the performances and everything else to do with it, bad results in no, this league. Exactly, but it does boil down to the performances as a whole. Um, I do agree, like those, like the Charlton away when they were resurgent, the Millwall away when they when they're resurgent as well. I said after both of those occasions, I was okay with those results. I didn't think that they were necessarily bad results. I didn't think they were the best performances, but I didn't think they were the bad results. And we've been very good this year about grounding out results when probably we shouldn't have done. I think your biggest issue here is when you go to the likes of Charlton, Millwall, and Derby, and say you're going to take you you oh you take the point, or you know you you can't be necessarily angry with the result of the game. It's just putting so much more emphasis and reliance on us picking up the points against the teams around us I believe we've got to top six of the top seven we've got mm. to go away to Leeds we've got to go away to West Brom you've got to go away to Nottingham Forest you've got to go away to Bristol City it's putting even more emphasis on if you want to get top two winning those games I'm not saying you should be really unhappy with a point at the likes of Millwall, Derby and Charlton but you know it just puts way too much emphasis on picking up, picking up the wins in those games but you're looking at the chart there's still wins at Hull wins at Blackburn, but they're these grinding out wins, Joe, and it's, it's almost an existential question for Fulham fans at the moment. Do you want to be successful but play this style of football? It's what almost Brighton fans have struggled with for the last three or four years when they were under Hewton. It's like, yeah, we're staying in the Premier League pretty comfortably most of the time, but my God, I don't know if I can watch what I'm being served up here. Would I rather be actually in the championship watching just some entertaining swashbuckling football or maybe just about getting up to the Premier League and then I reckon if this team went to the Premier League we'd actually be okay because we'd nick a one or draw at Old Trafford and we'd we'd grind out one nil home wins and one nil away wins but is that what we want as Fulham fans that's what we've got to ask ourselves in a way isn't it well for me at the moment I would much rather the results rather than the entertainment purely because I think that I think back to those games like when we won at Blackburn and we won at Hull and they were awful games but the feeling afterwards that we didn't play well and we could still grind it out was brilliant and I agree that I think that we do well in the Premier League with this sort of style um, rather than the like the swashbuckling sort of free-flowing football that would cost you against most teams in the Premier League I think the problem for me is that um these games, when we've been winning at Blackburn and Hull, I don't think it's been that we've been grinding them out convincingly. I think it has been an absolutely nothing game and a moment of brilliance has got something out of it rather than Parker's got us playing in a way where we know how we're going to grind out this win. We yep. defend well, but the goals are actually coming from a moment of brilliance. Well, I would argue that probably Parker knows that and he's always ta- he's talked about controlling the games a lot and he likes controlling the games. It means... If that means the other the other team don't have possession, and he knows that the attacking players 
we have do have that moment of magic and that's working for us and maybe he realizes that that you know to to be able to create goal scoring opportunities because we've got brilliant players we can't just play in and around that box and sort of just pick our moments when Cavalera is going to step inside and get a shot away or Mitrovic is going to get an excellent header or an excellent finish away or Kamara is going to bundle his way through and somehow like get his nose on the end of something or Bobby Reed's going to find that extra extra half a yard to put an excellent ball in I think that's probably the way that park the parkable system works control the game find the right moments and so do you think he's ha- do you think he's happy with what's happening up at Barnsley aside Barnsley was a shit show I think the weather played into it um they took their goals when it mattered Marit Rodak had a howler take Barnsley out of it do you think Parker's happy right now? Well, in his post-match interview, he was, like I said, he was very bullish about the fact that, you know, we want to control the games. And I don't think he was necessarily happy with the decision-making of the players in certain situations. He talked about specifically when the penalty came around was that, well, absolutely, when there's a full press going on, you're not you're not going to try and sort of play your way out. And that's what happened. And that's what created the um, Brian mistake and then um, eventually the penalty, which we'll obviously talk about in a bit. Mm. Um, and it's down to individual little errors here and there that's kind of making it fall down. Um, and as we've seen in the past, a lot of individual errors does not lead to promotion or does not lead to staying in the Premier League, for example. Um, if you're wondering where this term parkable has come from, I, mean, I don't know if we're the first people to coin it, but there's a brilliant article on uh, fullamish.co.uk from one of our new writers, uh, Marco uh, Dina Volis, and he has written this article basically looking at Tom Kearney's place within the Parker system and and it's quite damning about not Kearney yes but almost what Parker is doing to Kearney he's not actually maybe singling out Tom Kearney for huge amount of criticism it's how he thinks Scott Parker is trying to mold Tom Kearney into a version of himself when Kearney is not ever going to be um, that player I, I really enjoy Marco's articles I don't always agree with them but actually that doesn't matter because I, I read them and I'm and I'm always intrigued. So do give it a read, fullamish.co.uk. Let's look at the match. Let's come on to that penalty instant, Joe. And obviously it was poor work from Joe Bryan who gave the ball away. I saw some fans complaining about the handball as if it was a harsh penalty. I was of the opinion that it was almost unlucky and I, I felt a bit aggrieved, but it was a penalty wasn't it? it yeah, was all day um, long. I agree that it was a penalty. Um, I think the rule is harsh, but when the rule's in place, that is a penalty. And I think that if it was at the other end, I'd definitely be furious if it wasn't given. Yeah. Um, the, Bri- the Brian pass completely leads to the penalty. I don't think you can pin much, if any, blame on Ream because there's it's a very short amount of time he has to react in. He's not deliberately moved his arm towards the ball. But I do think he's with this rule, it is, he's chicken winged, it, isn't he? Just yeah, like, he's chicken winged it, and he's trying to get it out of play. But it just is a penalty, sadly. But yeah, it's just frustrating that we're playing this risky game at the back, whereas going forward, we're taking no risks at all. And that's what really annoys me about this style of play is that we've got these players that can pass it around the back. Maybe this isn't the best example with Brian doing that, but they're taking these risks at the back. More often than not, it is working. We are making mistakes, but I would just rather they were doing that in the final third. <laughs> It does kind of feel like Parker has told them you're only allowed to take... You'll be fined if you don't take risks at the back and you'll be fined if you do take risks up in the final third. Yeah. I, I disagree with the penalty shout. It's not a penalty by any any of the um, rules. Really? It's not, uh, it doesn't make... He doesn't make himself unnaturally bigger. Uh, he doesn't have time to, to move, uh, to make it deliberate. 
and um, it's um, I can't even. I, I can't agree with you in principle cri- that I don't criteria. think. It should, I mean, I would have thought this would be the argument the other way round, knowing your refereeing experience. But if you look at what's being given as a penalty these days, especially in the top flight, you look at the penalty that. Um, I think Harry Wilson gave away for Bournemouth against mm. Burnley where it's basically just come off like his bicep at the top of his arm and that's being given as a penalty with the help of VAR surely Ream with his elbow out to his side is well his elbow was by his side like it's more, it's more, literally it's, it's, touching his his, his love it's handles it's still sticking out of his body though it's not like tucked in completely yeah it's tucked, it's tucked in definitely the thing is though the other thing which we got to highlight is the outrageous dive by uh, the striker whose name um, who escapes me the Waghorn wa- yeah Martin Waghorn who is like another sort of like derby player who's never ever going to get to the Premier League no matter how much he tries in the championship um, I like him as a player, but, you know, he's obviously found his level. But, yeah, it was an outrageous... Literally, as soon as it hits, like, his hand he's going to go through, he just plummets to the floor with no contact at all. If you haven't noticed it, watch it again. It's hilarious. Um, and then, Dom, Fulham did actually spark into life a little bit when we went 1-0 down. But it's just a moment of sheer brilliance from Mitro. It's not even half a chance, is it? It's one of those crosses. He pumped it into the box, Kamara... And I didn't, I didn't even get excited. You know, where sometimes a good cross goes into the box and your body kind of lifts up, thinking, "Oh, it might be a chance." I, I just, just fully expecting um, Clark or one of the other Derby centre backs just to pump it away, and before you knew it was in the net. Yeah, he, he doesn't even sort of put his foot through it really, really either. He sort of just glances it yeah. completely at a perpendicular an- angle into obviously into the back of a net and yeah, it was as when we called it a half chance. As he said, I think that's being a bit bit too nice to it and. What I'm not saying it, it was it was undeserved, but it didn't look like through in the in the game we were going to be we would create this chance that would end up resulting in a goal because I just felt like our play was fairly flaccid really it just didn't really we didn't really weren't really doing anything and I think that it was when it when it came, when it came to the penalty obviously we, we spoke about it enough and I think too many people are are actually focusing on the ream ham ball as opposed to what Joe Bryan's done in the first place to get us into that situation and. You know, it was one of those games where it wasn't. It was going to take sort of two moments like this to res- mm. to result in goals. Yes, I know Matt Rodak makes some very very good saves. We did throughout the game, but I feel I feel I feel like it's not like all those times he should be getting nowhere near them. Like mm. it's not a surprise that he saved them in that respect. But it was just one of those games, a vintage Friday night championship game, finishing one one. I mean, who would who would have guessed that? <laughs> I mean, Matt Rodak was sensational on Friday. You are kind of right, Dom. That. There wasn't too many of those saves that I would have... Maybe if any of them had gone in, I'd have been a bit disappointed that they went in. But almost the fact that he may had to make so many saves and then didn't make yeah. a save. Particularly that one that everyone's going on about where it bounced through about three players. I can't remember who came in. It might have been... It um, was Curtis Davis. Yeah, that Curtis came Davies. I was like, what the hell's he doing there Shin- for a start? Shinned it onto the ground and Marek Rodak clawed it away. The best thing about that moment is Kevin McDonald's mm. block. Now that was actually really goal-saving. But yeah. I don't want to take anything away from Marek Rodak because it was a good performance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on it very slightly there that the fact that he made all of those saves they weren't all like amazing saves they were very very good stops but if we compare it to Marcus Bettinelli who's obviously trying to push him for the number one slot I think Bettinelli in a similar situation we'd all be singing his praises about most of those saves but one of them probably would have gone in Mm. yeah I think that's that's the main thing when it comes to Matt Ruddock's performances is not 
the saves itself is the sheer amount of saves he he did make consistency. Yeah, because you know, if as you said with Bettinelli, Bettinelli when it doesn't doesn't it come like compared to how many shots on target we can see, they end up in the most goals yeah, or yeah, yeah. So, something crazy like that. And yeah, I think it wasn't that that the all these saves were absolute wonder saves. I think it's just that you said the consistency that he did save them all, and you know he he did win us the game in in that respect. Or not win us the game. So, with all those saves, he, he did he did grab us a point in that respect. Yeah, he did. So he did. I think, and I think that you know we weren't creating much really. I think I can think of maybe two other chances throughout the game: the Cavallero and the Bobby Reed chance. But the Cavallero one's guilt edge. Yeah, He's got he should have sticking that away, yeah. hasn't he? Got at least hit the target with that one. I think. And yeah. I think if he does, either um, it's I, there were so many Fulham players in around the box as well. That I think another Fulham player could have tucked that away if either the keeper saved. Also, the pass to uh, if you watch it back, the pass to Decker Dover Reed was also on the butt, maybe yeah. harsh because he should have done. Who a, wouldn't? He, who wouldn't have a shot in that situation? He should have done the Onomar uh, fake shot slide, uh, come off the left foot pass like he did against Swansea. One, one of one of Onomar's finest moments yes. uh, in a Fulham shirt, and there's there's absolutely no doubt. Well, um, the rest of the league. Um, decided not to win as well apart from uh, the top two so we're now five points behind Leeds nine points behind West Brom but uh, Brentford Forest Preston actually no Preston did win but Bristol City also um, didn't pick up a win so it's kind of as you were with the playoff hopefuls but I don't know five points to Leeds is now looking like well a- we're closer to seventh now we are as a second now right I mean, it's looking it's looking yeah. hard now. And I also saw a great stat from Mike Gregg saying that uh, this is the first time, if you compare our season and the season we went up under Slavisa, that that team actually has more points at this stage than we do now. I think that shows you how poor the league is this year. Really, if you if you look yeah. at, if you're looking at this stage, I know we were you know we were probably pushing. We were probably about you know fourth. I think this about we went to Derby at a similar time, I believe, and that's when we got, obviously got that, that that win over them. Then you know when us being at Pride Park is not exactly something that happens very often. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, I think that what, what's hap- what what sort of the stats early on in the season were not not padded out by the fact, but when comparing him to Slavisi Akanovic's side, obviously he had that slow start. We didn't have that slow start, but we haven't really pushed on. We spoke about Leeds United. I can't remember who, but someone made the point is, I think it might have been Jack, that, that have they had their blip too early? <laughs> you know, usually they yeah. have their blip in March and they don't have time to recover. And all, uh, the Leeds fans I've been speaking to would be like, well, at least we're having our, our two months or six weeks job in form now. And we've got, you know, a third of the season left to build on it. And I think, you know, these these wins they've got in recent weeks have built up on that. But I'm obviously joining with the fact that us and Brentford have failed to win in our last couple of games. So I think, oh, obviously, I mean, dropping points in the last, yeah, th- yeah, in yeah. The last three games. Sorry. But yeah, I think that now it's, it's not, I'm not, you know, it's only five points. It's still, you know, mm. what, 10, 11 games and you, or so And left. I remember you saying earlier in the season, if that we are, I think five points was your cutoff within five points of. Leeds. I think I think within two wins, yeah. I think I think within two wins, you're always you know, in, in with touching. You got to remember, we yes, we've got so many tough fixtures coming up. But if 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 it's like under Slavisa, which obviously it's it's very different, but you know we were good against the better sides. There was that run of you know five or six games where we had to play teams in the top half, and we were very successful in those. And so if we are successful in these games against the likes of West Brom, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, Brentford, Bristol City, Preston. 
all these teams in and around us. So if we do end up picking wins in these games, then it's actually going to uh, work in, in sort of double, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, we'll fire us in our favour, but it's just a huge if at the moment when we're putting in... I think, yeah, we got to play six of the top seven leagues. We've got to play like two or yeah. something crazy. Well, we play, yeah, because and in between that, we play like QPR, who are like 11th at the moment. So it's like, you know... Sheffield Wednesday we... at home, uh, second last game of the season again, is not going to be easy either. No, exactly. It's um, it's quite a run-in. We've def- I, I think that... Um, I mean, we're obviously the only team in in the top six or seven that has to play all of them, pretty much. Yeah. But everyone else has kind of already played each other. Because do you remember? I'm, I'm pretty sure every weekend I'm going. Well, I want this fixture to be nil nil because we don't we don't want either of them to win. That seems to happen every every other game. Forest played Bristol City at the weekend, didn't didn't they? Uh, no. Or was that the weekend before? Or am I making that up? <laughs> I think you're making that up. Okay. I can't remember the full fixture yeah. list, Farrell, but I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that those teams played in some combination yeah. at some point over the week. Maybe over twice. The past, over the past weekends, yeah. They do play each other twice during the season. Um, just want to come on to a couple of individual performances. Scott made a lot of changes um, in the game. Uh, one of the most interesting ones was Arta coming back into the side. Uh, most of the tweets to the official count were Arta red card incoming um, when, when the lineup was announced. I thought he did actually okay. He clearly had a job to to sit on Wayne Rooney. And actually, in the final 10 minutes is when Wayne Rooney really started having an influence um, on the game. I I actually thought Arta did all right in that central midfield job. Also, I'd love to get your thoughts on Steph Joe's performance coming in for Onoma. Um, I thought both of them were just fine, really. Um, I thought I don't think either of them played particularly well because I don't think many players did other than Rodak. Um, but I thought they both did a job fine. I do think that Johansson deserves a little run in the side. I don't know why Onoma wasn't playing, but if he's got some sort of injury, then maybe this is the time when Johansson can have a bit of a run in the team because I do think he offers... Um, he hasn't offered enough going forward as he did in his first season at the yeah. club. If he can add that back, then I do think he's a just a great asset to have in the team. As for Arta, I think the problem with him is that he is almost a red card waiting to happen even though he's only got one so far um but I don't think it should be forgotten how well he was playing at the start of the season and after that injury he hasn't come back the same player but I do think that he is an experienced head to have and McDonald clearly isn't fit enough to start every game otherwise I think he would be um so I think that when Reed comes back I do think that Reed would be ahead of Arta in the pecking order and I guess it would be between him and McDonald for the starting role but I think they both did fine yeah indeed well uh, we've got lots of questions uh, to answer also we need to briefly preview Swansea on Wednesday night so we'll get on with that after this hello I am Brad Hangeland and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast welcome back to the second part of the Fulhamish podcast Sammy James here with Farrell Monk Hello, lovers. Joe Sansom. Hello. And fresh from a halftime, Lucas A. Don Betts. Hello, hello. What flavour? Orange. Of course. I mean, what other flavour are you going to get? Yeah. Do you what feel. Are the, what other Lucas A. flavours are? I don't I mean, drink. There's, there's plenty. Raspberry one, no? There's plenty. There's Lucas A. Sport. There's plenty. I swear. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've got, you got raspberry, you've got Caribbean bursts, you've got apple and. <laughs> it's all getting a bit mango, specific. Apple now. and raspberry. Are you going to petition them for an Aperol Spritz, Lucas Aid? Oh, that, you would like that, wouldn't you? I did. Oh, I, I did take a Aperol which is a journey drink in a Lucas A bottle before. So I mean, it's basically the same Ooh. thing, isn't it? That is peaked on bets. Aperol spritz in a Lucas A bottle. I've never had a Lucas A in my life. Why are we friends? 
<laughs> Why are we friends? <laughs> well, it's like I, I, I'm pretty you sure. Flash, I, I don't think you are. I think I, I'll drink more. Hey, you came to the wedding. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know why. I've got an excellent Polaroid of. Uh... <laughs> I think that's the one that JC sent me. No, there's a different oh, one. There's oh, a, there is a different one. Oh, we don't, we you don't. are still wearing the same tiara. Well, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, no, just, no, I don't know, it just doesn't appeal. What do you drink when you're hungover? I might have like a full fat coke or something to get me. Oh back. no, I can't have a fizzy drink when I'm hungover. That's not needed. I do like those Purdy's like rejuvenation drinks you oh, get in like the Tesco's. Apple ones. Yeah, oh yeah, really like nice. a, a Barocca or like an effervescent or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like yeah. If I'm hungover, I'll, I'll usually plough for a four pack of Lucasode <laughs> with, with each. <laughs> All right, um, let's have a look ahead to Swansea on Wednesday night. Um, they're not on a very good run of form, Swansea, but they did get uh, a good 3-1 win over Huddersfield with two goals uh, pretty late on uh, to win it for the Swans. Of course, we went down to the Liberty Stadium in November and we did a real job on them that night. Another kind of Parker job it was. that Swansea had plenty of chances. Marek Rodak was kind of... It was early days of Marek Rodak and actually he pulled off a number of saves to win us that match i believe he was he was man of the match um but dom as as we always say this is one of those home games that if you don't win this then you don't really deserve the right to be even thinking about top two no not not really and i think you know if we're looking at obviously the previous fixture obviously at liberty stadium when you said we did do a job they've pretty much fallen off a cliff since because obviously mm. everyone was talking to them, they had a really good start to the season, and you know all the all the Swansea fans now are like they're looking at they're not even looking at the playoffs. They're they just, are still quite close. They to the are playoffs. still close to it, but I feel like they feel again a lot of the time this season they've been flattering to deceive, and I feel like you know as you said this is just a game you go into you need you need to win end of story because you know with now being five points behind Leeds United this is the sort of game where you can't afford to any, get anything but a win and you know how how many games are there really if you're five points behind Leeds this season with you know top six top seven to play can you afford to be dropping points really if, if you are aiming for top two because you know I know it's a bit different in the season as you don't it won't end up being two points per game but that's what you should be aiming for if you want automatic promotion mm. I think if we were to drop points in this game and these were and these were to and were to win, let's say we drew and they and they were to win, obviously that would stretch gap to seven points. And mm. then even if we were to beat Leeds at Ellen Road, that's we still need them to drop points in two more games after that for us to take advantage. So I think again, if we're if we're looking at the form of this Swansea City side, yes, I know they've signed that's a Rian Brewster and Conor Gallagher mm. in, in, in the in the January window, but they haven't exactly set it alight since they joined. I think they had a decent debut, but since then they've been fair they've been fairly average. So I th- and I, th- I don't think Conor Gallagher I've really into that he, he knew or wanted to go about it he saw mm. Chelsea just recording from the Charlton line where he's enjoying himself and you know he's been sent across to Swansea I think yeah again it's just one of those games where you're going into it just you know we need to win this I think there's not really too much more to it than that yeah absolutely the thing is though um, Swansea do play a style of system that probably won't suit Fulham which is basically sit back and they've got quick quick wingers they've also got that Kalulu player that's come in from Basel and he's made a pretty much an instant impact already um, and of course, Ryan Brewster, and they've still got Byers, who, who's a very quick and um, clever player who causes us a lot of problems. I mean, Joe, Joe Rodon at the back seems to be one of the brightest young centre backs in England at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I and was then quite we signed in... their other one, and that's gone out well. <laughs> I was quite impressed with Swansea when we played them earlier in the season, but they, I think they had Sam Surridge up front, who's gone back to Bournemouth. Um, so I thought he was quite a physical striker and. There were quite a few balls in the box going to him. I know Rodak made a great save at the start of the game, mm-hmm. but I remember. Um, so I'm not sure if Brewster, with Brewster up front, I'm not sure if he'd be the same type of player. So I'm not sure if they've had to alter their system at all. But I was in a club with him on yeah. Tuesday. 
Name drop. <laughs> Last Tuesday, I was in a club room. Don't know why. I didn't actually see him. Someone just pointed him out. He's like, oh, Rian Bruce is over there. I'm actually more surprised you were in a club. I know. Check me out. <laughs> On a Tuesday? Yeah. I know. Have you met any footballers in clubs, Frank? Uh, Fulham Must Football have. Club. <laughs> I've met... Who done? No, I saw Jordan Ibe and Alex Iwobi in Watford Oceana a few years ago. Oh, yeah. I think it was just before it. T- I think it was just before it turned into prison. Uh, yeah, I did see Nigel Quasi in a club in Bournemouth once. Um, and we Massive were, name. We were take, yeah, we were taking a, we were taking a leak next to each other. Each other. Um, if you're listening to this and you've seen a footballer in a club um, at Fulhamish Pod on Twitter, please let us know. Uh, we'll do a little feature on this. Yeah. There was also uh, the famous court pre-season where uh, a lot of the Fulham fans out there just ended up in the same club that the players were in. It must have been their like designated night out of the trip. And um, Scott Parker wouldn't take any photo of the fans because he said he was with the lads. Oh. oh. Jack Grimmer, he, he was all for it. Of course Jack Grimmer was all for it. But Scott Parker was like, when I'm manager, I'm going to find the hell out of you for yeah. taking photos with the fans. Um, Roger Stearman took one. Tunnicliffe. All the legends of uh, Fulham's championship era. <laughs> um, looking at, at Swansea's squad, um, their main man, uh, it's a resurgence for the IU brothers this season. Jordan's doing a, a hell of a job over at Crystal Palace and Andre is kind of their main threat uh, for Swansea. 11 goals this season I believe he got one on Saturday yeah it was uh, quite against, a tidy finish uh, against Huddersfield but looking at their recent games I mean nuts obviously they won 3-1 against Huddersfield on, on Saturday the game before that I didn't see this but I did hear about it the 4-4 against Hull that looked extraordinary it was just eight pieces of horrific defending <laughs> <laughs> it was but it was it was quite funny going in, going into the game I think it was obviously the Friday night fixture. I think they both either have like nil-nil draws or one-one draws the week before. They yeah. they both don't average good uh, good home or good away records. I think it was Swansea's away record was quite poor, average goals at home, and Holes was quite low. And Pratton, David Pratton was like, I reckon you know one nil-nil maybe what maybe a one-nil and, and ended up four-four. And especially since Hull had literally just sold their two t- uh, main yeah, attacking threats. Yeah, Camel going West Brom and then Jared Byrne going West Ham. Yeah, it was, and then it was quite funny that what sort of entailed in that game. But I do think it was just down to absolute horrific defending at most stages. Yeah, bring back horrific defending to the cottage. We get we want the more high scoring games. Yeah, please. Unlike Barnsley, who actually defended quite well. I mean, yeah, they haven't won an away game since the twenty first of December, which was a one nil win away at Luton. I know I'm I know I'm jing- I'm just telling you the facts. Don't don't <laughs> sigh don't sigh at me. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens on Wednesday. Right, let's do some questions. Uh, enough about Swansea. Um, this one is from JD and. Uh, the tone of this question is very similar to lots of the questions we got today. With questions being posed by an increasing number of supporters uh, about Parker, what do you think will tip a decision and what will be the Khan's next move? He goes on to say about how the Khan's want the top two finish um, and if that disappears, he thinks they'll review a managerial change. Um, and he's talking about how West Brom sacked more uh, last season in mid-March when they were fourth. Uh, in fourth, nine points off the automatics. And, and he's insinuating that with a move to get Javi Pereira in upstairs, there is a ready-in-waiting man should they decide to move. I, I'm not 100% sure the Khans will be this ruthless mid-season, but discuss its possibility. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think they would either. Um, I think that they would possibly have to make a decision if we were to drop out of the playoffs. At the moment, it looks like there's basically seven teams fighting for six places. There's a few that can still get there as well, but it it's the main seven and then anyone else that could make a late push. If we were to drop into that seventh place, I think they would make a decision. But I 
I, I, I don't think that they would um, make a decision based on how far we are from the top two because we were 13 points behind West Brom at one stage and 10, 12 behind Leeds and they, they would have made it then when there was more time, I think. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I think you're, you're quite right in saying that. The only thing is, is that uh, Shahid Khan has form. I mean, he loves a mid-year sacking. I mean, we probably had more sackings cumulatively under Khan than under the, all the Al-Fayed eras. The that's famous sure. Muhlenstein Valentine's Day yeah. sacking. Yeah, we have gone past the Valentine's Day point. That's true. That is true. Although, I, as far as I'm, con- as far as Rene's concerned, he probably hasn't actually been told he's got the sack yet. No. <laughs> well, I think it's, the interesting sacking was the Kit Simons one because... Kit Simons knew if he lost that game or even drew that game, he was going to get he was going to get sacked because he was given a points total to get across a cumulative uh, five games, and Kit Simons knew going into that game that only three points was going to get to yeah. the total that was needed. So it was sort of uh, if does he does he work with targets like that with the like Scott Parker now or is it you need to be at this point at this stage at this stage of the season? Parker's an interesting one, even if you do get promoted, I think. I yeah because. You talk about oh, this, this necessarily this different style of football. That oh, would it work better in the Premier League? I I'm looking if if you were to get promoted, is it out of the question that they if someone better was to become available. I don't know. Let's say Eddie Howe became available from Bournemouth. Would the Carnes get rid of Scott and bring a more experienced manager in? I well, think Watford have done that for you know they when uh, well, we obviously literally with did Slavisa, it with yeah, yeah. Slavisa. But I think under Parker. You might be wise if he does get you up. I honestly think he'll get you to 40 points. And my dad, I've had this argument with my dad all weekend who's saying we'd get relegated straight away. I was like, I don't think we would. I think that we'd be in the relegation battle and I don't think it would be pretty. But I actually think we'd nick enough points. And then maybe once you've established yourself, that would be the smart move is then to move on. But also, it gets on to another debate about how... Who, how many of these players actually would play in the Premier League? Would, like realistically, after watching what happened last time, I'm looking at potentially Rodak, Hector, and Mitrovic because uh, mm. Kearney didn't really impress at all. We'd get Anguissa back. He's going to go Real Madrid or Barcelona in the summer. <laughs> we all know it. <laughs> yes. Um, th- interesting. You brought me onto this. This is from Matthew Wall. Picture the scene. We come seventh. Parker goes. I argue we'd be in a fantastic position. Well, nice to see you looking on the bright side, Matthew. <laughs> Sales of Mitro, Zambo and Seri would see us flush to invest mainly in a striker and a right back and back a new manager. Many of the squad would be here almost certainly. Bobby Decker, Dover Reed, Michael Hector, Marek Rodak, K-Mac, Cavalero, Kamara. And the core of a great squad would remain. Whilst I'm not arguing for a non-promotion, I am saying it's not a disaster assuming Parker goes. Do you agree? I, I I agree that not going up this year wouldn't be a massive disaster. I, I've said and a couple of other people have said in the past that, you know, I would quite like Fulham to be a side that keeps a manager who obviously loves the club many, many years. And the same way with players who are obviously of genuine quality and want to stay here for many, many years, Mitrovic and Kenny, so on and so forth. The only thing is, is that, yes, we'd get lots of money in if, say, for example, we have to sell these players. But we have to recognise that being in the championship, there's always a ceiling to the level of player that we're going to be able to attract to this club. Gone are the days where, you know, once is once in a generation thing where we're able to find a player like Louis Sahar, who's obviously playing way below his level, and other players like Chris Coleman and Lee Clark and Bjarni mm. Goldbeck. And there were so many players in that, you know, in that year that, it just wouldn't happen now because we were the only team with money. But, you know, we've got teams in our league like 
Leeds. Obviously, they might not be in the same league next year, but there are so many other teams of a bigger size than Fulham. And there's all the money in the Premier League as well. And we've got to recognise that in the Championship, there is a, there is a ceiling, there is a level of player that we can only go for. But the Championship is rife with the quality players. And I don't think it's, as we have seen, all the money in the world isn't can only get you so far in this league. Yeah, indeed. But you could buy some interesting players. You know, I'd love to see... You saw Lyle Taylor's performance this weekend for, for Charlton and a one-man one mm. win in, in lots of ways by, by Lyle. And I, if, if we sold Mitra and brought someone like him in, I, I certainly, personally, wouldn't be massively disappointed. Um, this one from Gary C. Uh, Dom, you'll like this. Uh, we're in the bottom seven of the championship for goals scored away. Who or what could be the cause and what's the remedy? Did you know that? I didn't know that. No, but if you if you if you're looking across the away games this season, they've not exactly been riveting. <laughs> no, um, I think I think it is down to the way we set up. They probably need to take the same away train that you do. What like the eight oh five to hold against him before midday? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, getting that one. It's this. this <laughs> you, you don't need to port some six five seven when you have got the Fulham eight oh five. But it's it was uh, an excellent train. I've just got yeah, to no, say. no, it was great, wasn't it? And the people who just about did make that's five twenty nine back to yeah. London. But I think that. When it, when it comes to away from, I just think it's the way we're saying like how when we've gone away from home, how many times have you know if we've gone behind we, like I'm thinking Luton where we that was the early goal we concede or if we don't how many how many turgid first halves have there been even in the most recent two you've got Blackburn and Derby two very turgid first halves and I think that's the problem we never seem especially away from home and you know a lot of time at home as well we never seem to go after teams from early on we got the players to do so and you got the likes of you know if, if Kenny's playing further forward you got Onoma bursting through you got Caviero Bobby Reed Knockart Mitrovic up top to sort of hold the ball up I don't see why we can't go out and attack teams from the off the the other thing is it's like yeah it has been a bit turgid but you know we are what fifth in the away form league we're actually fifth of the home and away record in the league I mean as as Joe, you were saying earlier, we're getting results. I mean, it's working somehow, as, as crap as it I looks. Was, I was really shocked our home record was that high on mm. the table because I feel like we've lost so many stupid games at home, but it's because we're not drawing those other games and we're getting quite a lot of wins. Mm. Whereas Forest have lost the same amount of home games and they're like way down the table because actually they haven't always turned those draws into wins mm. um, at home but we have managed to hold on uh, next one from our very own Jack Kelly we have some of the most talented attacking players in the league in our team so why are we so slow in our build up and transitions Joe I feel like when they go out onto the pitch they haven't been it's partly on the players but it's partly on Parker and that I don't feel that Parker and the players together know what the plan is in how to attack teams. And I don't feel like they mix up their game depending on who the opposition is. I also think that it doesn't help that the different combinations we have in the front three and then they swap wings during the game and things like this where suddenly is playing on the left, now he's playing on the right against a different fullback. And I feel like it's all a bit confusing and that at the start of the season we thought we'd have Knockart, Mitrovic, Cavalero. And obviously, I'm not saying if that would be right or wrong to have that as a front three, but if you don't know who's playing you don't know like how your teammates work you, if you don't know the style of play that you're meant to be playing it's hard to attack teams um incisively and you see teams like even Barnsley when they played us you could see that they knew that Woodrow was the focal point they've got pace on the wings and they used it effectively whereas we've got loads of skill but it seems that we're sort of hoping the skill will work rather than playing to our skill sets I, th- I think 
the midfield three you've got to look at because how many different combinations have we seen this season? You know, the most consistent one has probably been the one recently in McDonald, Onoma and Tom Kearney. It's probably been one of the most consistent midfield threes we've had all season. I think that's got a part to play because, yes, we've got this great attacking outlet, but if they're not getting fed the ball in the right positions, then they're not going to use their attacking ability to the best they can. And I think that's been the problem. There has been, you know, there's been, obviously there has been injuries. That's, that's had a part to play as well, but it has been changed every now and again. I understand you need rotation, but could... If no one, for example, in the season we went up, I know it's because none of them got injured and that and that was great. Apart from you know Kearney in the season we went up, but you know you knew that McDonald, Johansson, and Kearney was going to work, and you mm-hmm. knew it was the midfield three. Whereas I feel like this season you could name various trios which potentially could work. You know we've seen Bobby Reid drop into midfield in some stages. You know with, with Kearney's not exactly been you know fluent. He's had good games I think, but he's not been consistent throughout the season. McDonald was when he first came in at the beginning of the season but ever since he's come back into the side in the last few months he's looked a lot better Harrison Reid I think's potentially been the most consistent player mm. or, 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 or as a midfielder anyway that we've had this season so I think the midfield three have also got a part to play there yeah and um, they're not dynamic enough at the moment as a front as a as a three as well I think the one thing that we do miss is is Harrison Reid we shouldn't rely on our anchor man to, to sort of um, catapult all of our uh, attacking players but he is so positive on the ball and he plays a lot of one one touch passes and most of the time forward I don't want to sit here and be like backwards 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 you know I don't mind a backwards ball if it's safe and you know in certain situations but I do I do feel like Kenny has lost a bit of that confidence to be able to literally look up and play the right ball to the right player at the same time but that also comes from our attacking players making the right runs I don't think Mitrovic makes a lot of those runs off the off the defenders and pulls them this way and that what was the one sort of like specific example I can give is that the Millwall away game the first half was really turgid the second half wasn't much better but the one key difference that we were actually able to make some some sort of penetration was when Onomar started to move in between the you know, uh, just in front of that uh, their back line, and was able and was able to literally pick the ball up, turn, and run at their defence. But it's just not happening enough from ev- everywhere else. There was some really interesting analysis on Sky before the game from Don Goodman, and I always like Don Goodman because I think he actually does watch football at this level, and uh, and quite a lot of when, you, especially when you watch Quest and some of the footballers that turn up on there there are there are exceptions but you feel like they actually don't watch the championship they watch the premier league but they're turning up for a bit of money anyway don goodman does watch this league and they analyzed what fulham did against millwall and so many times they would show that kenny or onomer or mcdonald would get that ball in the midfield and there was an option to go forward there was a viable pass to kind of break through the lines but quite often we just played the safe route and went either back wide or back to Ream or back to Rodak. It's just the lack of taking... Maybe there's a 10% chance that ball gets cut out, but actually there's a 90% chance that you actually advance through the lines and suddenly the opposition are, are backpedalling and, and, and have to do something, but it's just so predictable. And the few times that we do actually make that incisive pass... It's 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 predictable, it's readable, yeah. they know that it's coming. And it shows in the Derby game because they had something like 15 interceptions that game which is actually quite a lot for a, you know uh, what the kind of high level that we're playing at the championship to I think Fulham got four I think mm. so that kind of shows the you know the difference of I don't know quality of passes or the risk that they're taking it's it's quite it's quite difficult to to sort of add up 
Um, couple of quick fire questions before we uh, finish the podcast. Uh, this one from Jack Smith. Does Parker know his best team, Farrell? No, but I don't think anyone around here at this table knows what the best team is as well. All agreed? No yep. one? Uh, yeah, I mean, agreed. if you ask me to name 11, the one I'll name in about a week's time will probably be totally different. Yeah. 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 Uh, Michael B, honestly, do you think we'll be, get promoted again quick fire? We'll either get top two or I want seventh place because I can't be able to the playoffs. <laughs> oh, I don't think we'll go up, no. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, I'm actually going to agree with you, Farrell, maybe, because at the moment I'm sitting on the fence as well. Um, I think that's pretty much it for the questions today. Um, if you want any more analysis on how Fulham are playing at the moment, uh, probably by the time you listen to this, uh, Ben Jarman has written an article which is going up uh, on Tuesday morning, which is looking all at the, at the tactics and um, maybe if they change their game, they might get automatic promotion according to, to Ben. So definitely well worth a read. Uh, if it's gone past Tuesday morning, you should be able to read it right now on the Fulhamish website. Okay. Um, before we finish the podcast, uh, we just need to name it. So, Farrell Monk, what are you going for? I'm going to focus on the positives, and I'm going to go for Max Bryson's Red Rodak Redemption. Okay, we've had Red Bet's Redemption, so... Oh, have we? Yeah, oh, okay. I mean, I probably uh, chose it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> you just love anything to do with Red Dead Redemption. I mean, I've never played it, so it must be... It must be... Well, close game. Yeah. Yeah. When when I first came out, spent way too many hours playing that game. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, thank you very much uh, for listening today. Uh, We'll be back in the week with a quick review of the Swansea match. Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Just one last thing. Oh, yes, sorry. As uh, part of the Fulham Supporters Trust, we are doing another annual survey. The last one last year that we did around the same time was a remarkable success and to sort of make sure that, you know, the fans' views are being heard year on year to the... Because it gets reported directly to the senior management at the club. Um, the survey will be out on Wednesday. So please either go to the Fulham Sports Trust where there'll be a link up there or there'll be stuff that's going out on social media for um, for you to click on. And please share. Please share with all your, the Fulham, your Fulham friends and family. Um, and... Um, yeah enjoy it will only take it will take you less than 10 minutes and it's not exactly the most it's not going to be very complicated because i put it together well yeah i mean clearly i mean obviously last year we know all about the stop to stop the greed that was about this time last year where it was released and that survey was was a massive part of what made i think stop the greed really impactful because Mm. it wasn't just oh we've got an opinion it was actual fact it was like fans are really upset about this and whilst there is no planned protest this year please god but it was really important that people filled in that survey so if you dislike anything that's happening at the club at the moment or you disagree with something whether it's prices whether it's the fact that you can't get a beer at half time in the hammy end you can just go down after half an hour well yes okay there's the solution whether it's the fact that they don't subsidize away travel or anything like that you on your own it's quite hard to make that impact but together with these kind of surveys it can actually have a real uh, effect um, and and makes uh, put out a message to the club so yeah definitely do fill it in okay uh, moving on Joe Sanson thank you very much thank you have you got anything to plug I, I don't actually um, I feel a bit bad I should have prepared something but no I've got nothing to plug plug the survey as well yeah well you know what do the survey yeah. and bring something next time to plug I'll bring next I'll bring something next time to plug Don Betts thank you very much right. we have another George Cooper special to end today's <laughs> podcast oh this um, is good sensational 
So he has adapted Blur's Park Life uh, for a song called Parker. I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it, and we'll see you very soon. Bye. Confidence is a thing that we must seek under the managerial watch of a man that is known as Parker. A last minute goal can be avoided by the defensive tactics ordered by a man that is known as Parker. Attack three on two, defence intimidated by our wing backs. They love a bit of it. Parker. Who's that fat lad, Charlie Adam? You should cut down on your pork life, mate. Get some exercise. Ball to me, Give the ball to me, And we all go hand in hand, hand in hand with Scott Parker. We score when we want, except on some days when we get rudely stopped by their defenders. Parker! I'll put my suit and tie on, have a cup of tea, and I'll think about my tactical nows. Parker! I bring on strikers, I sometimes throw on wingers too. It gives me a sense of enormous well-being. Parker! And then I'm happy for the rest of the match. Safe in the knowledge, there'll always be a bit of my style devoted to it. To me, Give the ball to me, And we all go hand in hand, hand in hand with Scott Parker. Got nothing to do with your parker ball technique, you know. And it's not about Kamara, who runs round and round and round. Parker, oh, to me, Give the ball to me, And we all go hand in hand, hand in hand with Scott Parker. Give the ball to me, Trump, and we all go hand in hand, hand in hand with Scott Parker. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us... 
Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.